story of Adam, Adam and Eve, and we've, we've gone through the story, not every word or every page even, or even every chapter, but we've been looking at the story of Genesis, and uh, I can't even remember what we called it during Genesis, but we, there was a name. Uh, back to the beginning, yeah. So, and, and there were a number of things that, that's another point for Alicia. <laughs> She's got points. Some of you haven't got any points. Alicia's got lots of points. Um, and um, we're coming, you know, even as we come to the end of the year, it sort of really works out really conveniently, doesn't it? We're coming to the end of the book of Genesis, probably with, in some ways, the most famous story, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and that is the story of Joseph. And it, the, there's a danger with Joseph for me because, because I... I've got to be honest, I, I love Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, we've got the video. Um, I've got it. Uh, you know, I put YouTube playlists together. One of my really sad playlists is, is all the connections of the production of Joseph. Um, so I do love it. I know all the songs um, and I sing them all. And I mean, I haven't watched it for a while, but when I want to feel good moment, I, I watch Joseph or I listen to the Joseph. Um, and so I'm having to move away from that, you know, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, to the Bible. And look at what does the Bible actually say about Joseph, um, because I'm sure there are things we can learn from Tim, uh, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, but not the same things. Um, although the story even there is powerful. Um, and uh, and so, so I'm having to fight that, that natural tendency to like really cheesy things like uh, Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, so I'm fighting that, but I'm also praying. <laughs> As I fight, I pray. Um, and I'm praying for us to get a number of things out of this series, a number of things that uh, just God has really sort of revealed to me uh, out of this series, this next, the next few weeks. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at it. Uh, the first thing is this, that Joseph, and it's really simple, Joseph is an example to us. Yeah? He, he is an example in terms of his character, yeah, he's, he's one of the most amazing uh, characters in the Bible, one of the most sort of, um, uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with Joseph in terms of his character. He doesn't do any big sin that we see, apart from he boasts his brothers a little bit. We, we don't see a lot of other big issues with him. And it's important for us to recognize that, that something like his character is an example to us. In Romans 15 verse 4, it says this, Everything that was written in the past, and so that's talking about this part of the Bible, the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, the Bible, we might have hope. So one of the reasons we have hope is because of a story like Joseph. That's one of the reasons why hope comes to the Christian, why, why we can endure and we can be encouraged is because of what the Bible says about Joseph. So you must understand that. Joseph isn't just about the Technicolor dream coat or the sort of major things that you know about him. He's written so that you and I as believers might have hope. Yeah? And that, that hope, we know from other, other scriptures, does not disappoint. Yeah? And that that hope is not just for us. This is a hope for the world. Yeah? So the hope that you have is the same hope that others will have because of you. So it, the story of Joseph, it looks at lots of obvious things, his character traits, integrity, he resists temptation, but there are also other issues. So that's the first thing. First lesson I'm praying is that we will gain hope through looking at Joseph. Second lesson is that we will learn something through his brothers. We don't often focus on his brothers because in the end they turn out to be not very nice. And who wants to focus on people who are not very nice? Yeah? However, they are also an interesting example for us because they remind us also a little bit of us. Yeah? in Because what does it say of his brothers? And we'll read it in a moment. It says they were jealous. Yeah? Now, jealousy isn't the... It's, jealousy isn't... You know, they don't have a monopoly on jealousy. Yeah? And, you know, other people you know, oh, jealousy is awful. People who are jealous. You know, other people don't have a monopoly on jealousy. Jealousy is something that comes to all of us. Yeah? And you see in the story of Joseph, it's interesting, jealousy doesn't come about because Joseph necessarily does stuff. It comes about because of what his father does. Yeah? So his father loves Joseph, focuses on Joseph over his brothers. That leads them to be jealous. 
So you might be sitting there with somebody who's a great friend of yours, and then somebody who has authority over you responds to them differently. That can lead you to become jealous. You might think, oh, me? I'd never do that. Yeah? You just need to be in a situation. Yeah? You might think everything's quite comfortable right now, but you get yourself in a situation, you realize, oh, there is a danger here of jealousy. And there's something we can learn from that. However, it's not enough for us to study this part of Genesis, the story of Joseph, and simply look at character traits of Joseph and his brothers. Yeah? If we do that alone, we do the Bible a disservice, and we do ourselves a disservice, and we do God a disservice. Yeah? Because you'll know that as we have been looking at Genesis, over, over the individual people that we've looked at, we've been looking at one thing how God works his purposes out through people. We've been looking at that. You remember, right at the, uh, sort of in Genesis 12, when we began the story of Abraham, we saw this happen. God said, he, God chose Abraham, who worshipped the moon at the time. He didn't worship God. He called him, um, and he said, I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. Abraham goes to this place, and then God says to Abraham, look, all this land I'm going to give you, and I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. So God had a plan, which he promised to Abraham, and everything he does after that is to fulfill the plan. So it's not just about... In the individual, Joseph, or the individual, the brothers, it's about the plan. God has a plan. And you'll know, as, you, as we go through the story, it is amazing his commitment to the plan. It's not just about Joseph. It's not just about the brothers. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. God made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you, and you're going to be a blessing. And so he is relentlessly committed to that plan. And in that, he's relentlessly committed, he's still relentlessly committed to his plan, and he's relentlessly committed to your role in his plan. Relentlessly. He doesn't give up. You and I give up. We don't just give up on, each, on ourselves, we give up on each other. We give up on stuff all the time. Oh, it doesn't seem to be working out. We give up. God has not given up. When you understand something about what Joseph's brothers were like, you think to yourself, you think to yourself, did God really, why didn't he just wipe them out? Because they're not great. Yeah, if, you, if you remember, one of Joseph's brothers was a man called Judah. Yeah? Judah becomes the line through which David and Jesus is ultimately born, and yet you read about a story uh, about Judah and, his, and what amounts to be his, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who ends up being a shrine prostitute who he sleeps with and she gets pregnant by him, and you think, goodness me, God used Judah? Or other brothers. If you, you know the story of the people of Israel, the, the, the brother Levi. So Levi becomes the brother who which the priesthood is sort of instituted. And that's a very holy moment, very holy thing. And Aaron and was a priest and from the tribe of Levi and all this type of stuff. And yet Levi and his brother Simeon after their sister, so they're provoked, their sister is raped by a man, they go and slaughter every, every man in that, in that tribe. Every man they slaughter. You think, God used Levi? How on earth does God use people who appear so bad? But he's relentlessly committed to changing them and to transforming them because he's relentlessly committed to his plan and his purpose. Yeah? And actually, when you look at it, you begin to see oh, lots of things happen in life. And as we've called this series, I've called this series, lots of things happen in life that seem really, really awful, but God meant them for good. God meant them for good. So we're going to start this, at, actually we're going to start at the end of the story. So those, those three examples, Joseph is an example to us, his brothers are an example to us, but ultimately it's not about Joseph, it's not about his brothers, it is about God and his sovereign plan to, to bless the world, bless the earth through the people that he has chosen. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it goes on and it ultimately becomes the church. So Genesis 50, verse 19 to 20 says this. Right, this is right at the end of the book of Genesis. So, so it's almost like we're reading, reading the last bit of the, the story. And I trust that we know enough of the story that it's not going to spoil the plot. 
to know what happens at the end. It's not like some books or whatever. Um, uh, Joseph said to them, to his brothers, his father's now died. He says to his brothers, who are a bit fearful uh, of him because he's got all this power, he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now, you remember, he's a very powerful man. Yeah? To them, he may as well have been God. But he says, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And I want you to keep in mind as we look at this, um, uh, this, this character, this, these few chapters in Genesis, I want you to keep in mind this, this tension. There's a tension here. And it's summed up by these words. And it sums up God sovereignly in control of everything and my action. This tension. You intended to harm me. That's what you intended. You were doing this for evil intent, but God intended it for good. So suddenly, even things that happen to me that might be considered evil and bad, God intends them for good. Now you must hear what Joseph doesn't say. Joseph doesn't say that God intended to harm me because God didn't intend to harm him. God intended it for good. God intended, God took something which was being done for evil purposes and evil intent and he turned it around and he used it for his purposes for good. And you don't need to think very hard if you're a Christian, although I can allude to it if you're not a Christian, that there's another story that starts, ends like that, isn't there? There's another story that ends in exactly that same way. So Genesis 37, I'm going to read um, some of the story, the first chapter, uh, 37. I'm going to read a bit of it, and then I'm just going to pull out a few things. So Genesis 37 says this. It should come up on the screen, or if you've got a Bible, reading from the NIV. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, Israel is Jacob, um, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. So he's probably quite excited. Listen to this dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while all your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to it. How bizarre. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So it's a mild rebuke. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring back word to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. I'm moving on. I can't remember what verse I'm at now. They saw him, the brothers, in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. 
verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognised it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So I've talked a little bit about um, the, a bit of the background, the, you know, the promise that was made to Abraham and that he's, he's wandering in the desert. I've talked a little bit about um, you know, this promise that God was always, he was relentlessly committed to fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham, even though at times Abraham put the promise, um, if you like, uh, uh, on the line. He put it, he, he tested it. And so, and so we have Abraham, you have Isaac, and then you have the story of Jacob, and it's interesting to understand something of Joseph's history. Isaac doesn't ever leave the promised land. I've said that to you before. He stays in Canaan. He lives, he dies in Canaan. Yeah? Jacob goes back to his father's family his, and his grandfather's family in order to find himself a wife, and you know the story. He, 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 falls, he sees Rachel, he falls in love with her, and he agrees that he would, he would work for seven years for Rachel, and after seven years, he, um, he, he says to his uncle, look, you know, give me, give me my, my bride. His uncle tricks him and gives him Rachel's older sister, who, to Joseph at least, is not as beautiful. Um, and, you know, he ends up marrying um, the older sister, Leah, and um, comes out of that, has to renegotiate another seven years for, um, uh, for Rachel. But he ends up marrying Rachel, the woman, and Rachel was the woman that he loved. Yeah? But for years, she doesn't have any children. Leah's popping children. Yeah? I mean, as a church, we're popping children. But Leah was popping children. Yeah? She had loads of boys and, and a daughter. And, and, so, and there's this sort of battle, you get this sense, between Leah and her sister, Rachel. Then what happens is Rachel has Joseph. So, so the woman that he absolutely adored and loved gives him a son. It's no surprise that he loved Joseph more than the others. The woman he absolutely loved and adored gives him a son. And what happens is they, the, uh, for, if you read it, Joseph is born in, um, uh, in the place where he lives with his uncle. And it's almost after Joseph is born that he says, right, now's the time to go. Yeah? And he picks up his family and they have some negotiations. It's all a little bit tense. And he moves away from his, from his uncle Laban to go back to the place where he's come from, Canaan. And on the road to Canaan, um, Rachel has another son, Benjamin, but in childbirth she dies. So it's no surprise um, that Jacob, he doesn't transfer his adoration from Joseph to Benjamin. Why? Partly, I imagine, because Benjamin just reminded him of this really, really tragic moment in his life. Yeah? The woman he loved gives him a second son, but in childbirth she dies. So they go back. I imagine what happened is Leah, who's the older sister, almost adopts Joseph and, and, and Benjamin because later when, um, uh, when um, Jacob re rebukes him, he says, what, will your mother and I? Now, Ra Rachel's dead. So he's not talking about Rachel. He's, he's probably talking about Leah having adopted him and those other two, his other two wives were the maidservants of the two women that he had initially married. So that is Joseph's history, and by this time, Joseph is 17. So, so he is like number 11 of the brothers. 
Yeah? He's from a different mother, a brother from a different mother. You hear that phrase sometimes. Um, he, it, it, and and it's, not, it's not a straightforward situation. He wouldn't have been necessarily welcome. So, so if there was anything about him, they were, it was going to be very easy for them not to like him. Very easy for them to sort of dislike him, particularly as they would have seen how their father was responding to Joseph as he grew up. And they would have recognized, oh, father loves Joseph more than he loves me. Yeah? Now, it's interesting what you do when that happens, because this happens to us. Yeah? Oh, he's favored over me. She seems to get more attention than I do. This happens to us all the time. And it's interesting. It doesn't make me go to the person who's showing the favor. I hate you for showing them more favor. It doesn't make me do that. The most natural thing it makes me do is to hate them. You're, you're getting more favor than me. Yeah, I don't, that doesn't necessarily impact my relationship with this person, other than I might try and please them even more to get their attention, but it does impact my relationship with this person. And I don't know why that happens, but that's what happens, and we need to be aware that that's what happens. Somebody seems to be getting favor over me. I don't hate the person who favors them. I might do, but I certainly, it's, this is where the tension comes. This is where the issue comes. And this is what happens to Joseph and his brothers. And so he's now in a slightly dysfunctional family. It's, it's basically his aunt who's raising him. And, you know, he's got all these other brothers from all sorts of different mothers who are all older than him. And it's a bit dysfunctional. And I, I just wanted to ask a question there. And I ask this question a lot, but I think it's an important one. History shapes you. History shapes you. Your history will impact how, how, how you function, how you live, how you operate, and sometimes you need to, you need to deal with your history. Because if you don't deal with your history, and you, particularly if you grow up, and maybe you grow up um, fatherless, you grow up in a sort of a dysfunctional setting, that will have an impact on how you function. Yeah? Now, the truth is God can restore that, but it takes God to restore it. It doesn't take you and all your effort and all your energies. God can restore that. So just some really, really simple points. Joseph stands out from his brothers in terms of his actions. Yeah? He brings a bad report about them. Often we think about that bad report as maybe Joseph being a bit of a tell-tale. He's like looking at his brother, oh, what are they doing? And then he runs and tells his dad. Uh, but it might simply be that Joseph had a little bit more integrity. They're doing something, he thinks, that's not right. And I'm going to go and tell father. Because everyone respected father. And he does it to the brothers who are least connected to him. He does it to the brothers of the maidservants. He doesn't do it to his, the brothers of his, of, of his aunt. He does it to the brothers of the maidservants. They probably cared nothing for him. Nothing for him. So he brings this bad report. Secondly, actions that, that the coat, the father in his stupidity, buys Joseph a coat. And you're like, oh, Jacob, Jacob, if you had, had you asked me, I wouldn't have suggested you buy him a coat like that because the brothers are already a little bit like that. You've gone and bought him a coat, and now they're going, oh, my goodness, father loves him. Yeah? If we notice, Joseph isn't the one that goes to the, he's not, he's not with the sheep. Yeah? He's at home wearing his ornate coat, his coat of many colors. He's wearing it, wandering around the, the sort of campsite, and then his father one day says to him, go and, go and check on your brothers. Yeah? And the third thing that, that stands out for Joseph in terms of his actions is his dream. So not only is he prepared to bring a bad report, not only does his father express his love for him in bringing him a coat, he has these dreams. So he has a gift. God has given him a gift, this ability to see dreams. And, and I mean, I don't know what's in his mind when he tells his brothers. He must have known. I'm not sure they're very happy with me. But he still goes and tells them the dream. He tells them the dream. And you think about that. Think about that for a moment. I've talked about the, the reality of what happens when people um, get favoured over us and when people have a gift that we don't have. People are able to do things that we can't do. And, and part of that, I mean, the gift itself, that might not even be the reason they get favoured, but they have the gift. It's another thing. It's another reason why it compounds the jealousy. It compounds the hatred to the point where they can't even speak to him. So he, he stands out in terms of actions. He also stands out from his brothers in terms of his character. You see, it's interesting. Joseph brings a bad report, and his father gives him the responsibility. Joseph, I want you to go and find your brothers 
and I want you to come and tell me how they're doing. He trusts him. Joseph is trustworthy. Even at 17 years old, he can be trusted to go and find his brothers and bring back to his father a report about them. You don't trust everyone with that type of thing. But Jacob trusted Joseph. Joseph is obedient. You don't hear Joseph saying, Father, as much as I would love to do that, do you want to see how they treat me? Do you want to see how they talk to me? He doesn't do that. He says, very well. He's then committed because, I didn't read it, but you have this moment where, where Joseph is, is wandering around Shechem to find his brothers and he can't find them anywhere. And he happens to bump into somebody who says, oh, I saw your brothers and they said they were going to head to Dothan. He goes, oh, okay, thanks. And he, he walks 14 more miles to Dothan to find his brothers. He's committed. He could have got to Shechem. Oh, they're not here. Gone back home and said, oh, I couldn't find them. But he's not like that. Joseph is trusted, he's trustworthy, he's obedient, he's committed. Now, he's also a bit naive. Yeah, he is a bit naive. And he stands out from his brothers in that way. Because what are the brothers like? It's quite sad what we read of the brothers. We read that his brothers hated him so much they could not even speak to him. The passage tells us that they were jealous of him. And we know what they go on to do is to be deceitful. And they have form for deceitfulness. This is not the first time his brothers were deceitful. I said earlier that when they, uh, two of his brothers went out and slaughtered a whole tribes of people because of what they'd done to their sister, but they deceived those people to do that. They didn't just come in like with swords going, ah! No, they deceived them. And then they were able to carry out the plan that they had. So the brothers, are ha they hate him, they're jealous, they're deceitful, and you know what? They're remorseless. So if you read on a little bit in Genesis, Genesis 42, verse 21, the brothers are now before Joseph, they're worried about what's going on, and they say, all this trouble's come upon us because of Joseph. This is what they say. And they say, we saw how distressed he was and how he pleaded with his life when we threw him in the cistern. They said, we saw that. And yet they throw him in the cistern, and what does it say? Then they sat down to eat. They sat down to eat. They're remorseless. These guys don't really care. So Joseph's saying, please don't kill me. Don't, don't do it. They throw him in the cistern, and they sit down to eat. Have you got your sandwiches? Oh, okay. It's ridiculous. And yet we live in a world, let's be honest, where people are remorseless. People carry out acts that are very, very evil. You look them in the eye and you say, why did you do that? They shrug their shoulders. It wasn't just Joseph's brothers that are remorseless and cruel. People we know are remorseless and cruel. So he stands out in terms of his character and he also stands out from his brothers in terms of his purpose. You see, the brothers... They're quite sort of sarcastic, aren't they? They say, let's see what comes of his dreams. They throw him in the system and they sell him as a slave. Imagine selling your brother as a slave. And they say, let's see what comes of his dreams. They go home because often what you do when you do those types of acts is you don't think it through. Yeah? They're thinking, we get rid of Joseph. Our father's no longer going to be, you know, we're not going to have that situation which we hate where our father loves him and he doesn't love us. We're not going to have that anymore and it's going to be fine. No, they come back and basically they break their father's heart and they are powerless to do anything about it. Now they do love their father. So they would be distressed by his distress. They wouldn't be distressed by Joseph, but they would be distressed by their father and yet they are absolutely powerless to do anything about it. They can't comfort him. They can't even comfort him. They can't even comfort their own dad. So then they live, as we know, in guilt, really, for the next X number of years. Joseph's over here, going doing all his stuff. They're over here, and they're, 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 they're living in guilt. They're living in deceit. They're living a lie. And then we see God's plan for Joseph. You see, this is really interesting. The brothers wanted to kill Joseph. And in their jealousy, they go about doing that and they're stopped a little bit by one or two of them, but not enough for them like, to really stop it. 
But it's really interesting that they killed the one that God had set apart to save them. Yeah? They killed the one that God had set apart to save them. So they are killing themselves. They don't realise it, but they're killing themselves. They throw Joseph in the system. They don't realise that a famine's coming and that one day Joseph's going to sit, sit in a position of authority where he will save their life. They don't realise that. They kill the one set apart to save them. Or they seek to kill the one. But God uses that very act of sin, and it was sin on their behalf. It wasn't that God made them do it. It was sin on their behalf, their actions. And God uses that to fulfil his purpose. And at this point, what's his purpose? I need to get Joseph to Egypt. Because that's where the salvation is coming. I need to get Joseph to Egypt. Now you look at that. You look at Jacob and you think, God, why did you do it like that? Because look at the distress you caused Jacob. Look at the distress you would have caused Joseph. Look, look, look at it, God. Sometimes God allows stuff to happen. We think of it as evil, as wrong and bad. And sometimes we get this silly impression that, that things that are of God are good things. And that things that happen that are not of God are bad things. And we don't recognise that God is so powerful that he can use bad things for good things. Now just think about that for a moment. Think about your life. Think about the things that you struggle with. Think about the things that, that, that you watch telly. Think about what Becky said earlier about praying for people who are in distress, who are sick, who are, who, are, who, who are in need of healing. Think about all the things that are going wrong and go, hold on, God is powerful enough to turn these bad things into good things. Think about if you thought like that all the time. How often you wouldn't give up on something because you go, oh, God, God might have a plan in this. The fact that it's all coming at me and it looks like it's really, really difficult, the fact that that's happening doesn't mean that God is not in this. And yet we live in a world where we think to ourselves, oh, my goodness me. You know, the, the, you know, the, the, the washing machine stopped working. The, you know, I didn't get paid this month. Oh, my wife had a go at me. Oh, Lord, it's all going wrong. Yeah, do you ever feel like that? Yeah, of course we feel like that. Yeah, little tiny, tiny things, they all go wrong. And because they're all going wrong, we're thinking, am I in the will? Is God really with me? And do you know what? I'm speaking to myself here. I do this lots. God, oh, no, it's all gone wrong. Oh, the laptop, it stopped working, Lord. Is this your purpose and plan for me, that the laptop would stop today? Oh, God. Yeah? I'm like that, if I'm really honest. Yeah? What I do do, though, just so to try and redeem that <laughs> tiny, tiny bit, is I say, I, I say that exactly thing to God. I will bring that very thing to God. So I won't, I won't over here think, oh, my God, it's all going wrong. Is God really real? Is he here? Yeah? When I regroup, it's often on my knees. And I'm just thinking with Joseph, when we, when we understand, oh, God can use things that appear to be really evil for good. He can, he has, and he will. So your circumstance, he can use it for good. You see, it's interesting with Joseph. He fulfills the purposes of God in his life without ever being in control of anything. Joseph has no control over anything in his life. At 17, he gets sold as a slave. Now remember, at 17, he's the 11th brother. Yeah? His, he has no say here. Now, his father elevates him, but really, he has no say here. His brothers were smacking him about, no doubt, and kicking him and pushing him out of the way. They're not listening to Joseph. He's got no control, no say. He's sold as a slave. So he has got no rights. He's got nothing to add to the world. He's a slave. He becomes a servant, and then he goes to prison. Do you know what? Even when he becomes prime minister, he is subject to another person. All his authority comes from this man. Joseph never has control of anything in his life. There is nothing you read about Joseph where he decides anything. He doesn't say to himself, 
don't really like being a slave. I'm going to up and I'm going to move off and I'm going to find my destiny. Yeah? He's finding his destiny with no control. How many of us take control of our own destinies and therefore miss them? We miss them. Because we take control. We go, this isn't working out. This isn't, oh, I, I'm gonna, God's given me destiny. God's given me power. I'm going to go and do No. The real way that you can fulfill all that God has for you is to let him fulfill all that he has for you. And when your situation and circumstance put you there, it puts you there. And, it, and for you to move from there, sometimes, do you know what? Sometimes I felt, you know, there have been times in my life where I felt a little bit, I have no, I, I can't do anything here. I feel trapped. Do you know what? The moment you feel trapped, there's no, you think, okay, I'm feeling trapped, so I wonder what God might be doing here. Because this is not, this is not an easy thing for me to get out. What is he doing here? What's he, what's he teaching me here? Because I think he must be teaching me something because he's brought me here. Joseph must have lain at times in that prison and go, oh, do you know, I, I feel trapped. I don't feel like I can decide anything. What, what, what am I meant to be doing here? Well, what Joseph did was he simply did the things that came to him and his gift began to blossom. The gift that over here provokes jealousy, over here brings life. The same gift. Over here, it provokes jealousy. Over here, it brings life. So God has a plan. God, and I said it at the beginning, and I'll just finish with this, because this, I think, is the amazing thing. If you, if you lift your eyes and you see the story of Joseph as more than a character study of the man, God's relentless commitment to his plan and his promise. It's powerful. You see, God takes this rough group of men, Jacob's sons. He takes Jacob, who in many ways was a poor parent. He was a passive parent, and he allows what happens to happen. He takes these men who do all these very not very nice things, and he is committed to molding and shaping and working at them so they will be the, the means by which he fulfills the promise. That's what he does. That he, that they and their seed would be a blessing. That's what he does. He's committed to it. He doesn't give up on them. And what he does is he takes the one brother who stands out, Joseph, the one brother, and he takes him out and he uses him to save them all. They don't know that. They're, they're doing the very opposite of what they think. Yeah? But he uses Joseph to save them all. He doesn't abandon them. It tells us something about God. Yeah? And you miss that if we simply look at Joseph and his integrity. We miss the fact that, oh no, God is quite an amazing God. His commitment to his promise. We hear about it, we read about it, you know, God, God's promise. We, we read about those sound bites, about his promises and God. But then we read it and we see it. Oh, they, he did it. He actually did it with this group. So what does God have for us out of this? And I'm just going to mention a couple of things really quickly. The first real, real quick thing I just want to mention is about, is about jealousy and envy and, and coveting. And I, I read helpfully in a commentary, it, it separated out the difference between coveting and envy. Coveting is when I want what my brother has or my neighbour has, yeah? So you have a nice car. I want, I want a car. I want that car, yeah? And we probably all do that a little bit. Oh, I wish I, wish I looked like that with my hair. I'm sorry, baby, my foot on it. Yeah? We all do that a little bit. Envy goes a step further. Envy is not just that I want that. Envy is when, and if I can't have that, neither should you. So I go about and I try and destroy that which somebody else has. Yeah? And let me just give you just tragic examples of this. We see them, don't we? Tragic examples where 
you'd have read about it, I've read about it a number of times, where, where you read about the case where the father, he kills himself, and before he kills himself, he kills his children. And you think, oh God, what's all that about? Well, underneath that is envy. The marriage is broken down. If I can't have them, then neither can you. It's tragic. But that's envy. Yeah? Envy's not just, you know, I go drinking with envy's not a little thing. Envy led to the brothers wanting to commit murder and selling their brother into slavery. Don't think envy's a little thing. It's always only a little thing. It's always only a tiny thing. Envy is evil. And if you have envy, if you know that you're, you're, you're bordering on that, you're bordering on how you think about somebody, then you need to bring that to God. Yeah. God can deal with that. And the second thing I just want to pull out, and then I'm going to hand back to John uh, briefly. The second thing I want to pull out is just the plan. You might be going through difficulty right now. You might be finding life a little bit hard. Things are not working out as you imagine they would. Things are difficult. People are on at you. The laptop's not working. The toilet's bust. All those silly little things which bother me. Now, I know they bother some of you, but I know they bother me. All those silly little things. You think, oh, God, are you in any of this? We just look at the story of Joseph and we see, do you know what? Though he were distressed and pleaded with his life at one point, though Jacob's heart was broken, God intended these things for good, for the saving of many lives. It was bigger than Joseph. It was bigger than Jacob. And although we might go through those things, we can go through those things and we can look to him and go, do you know what, God? I'm going through some stuff. I'm sure I shouldn't be feeling this way about it because they're all little things, but they're there, God, and they're, they're bothering me. But I bring it to you because I know there's a plan which is much bigger than me. And that, yeah, you've got a purpose for my life, but it's not so individual that it discounts everyone else. There's a plan. You're working out your purposes. And what does it say right at the beginning in Romans 15? It says, we learn these things from stories like Joseph. Why? In order that we're through encouragement and endurance, we can have hope. And we know from James, hope does not disappoint. It's hope that enables you to persevere. It's hope that enables you not to give up. It's hope that enables you to, to keep going even when it seems difficult. Why don't we bow our heads to pray? Father, we thank you. Lord, you know, I'm, I'm always grateful for your word. I'm always grateful for, for the way you worked in the lives of people that we read about in the Bible. And how those stories can help us and encourage us and cause us to keep going when it's difficult. But Lord, I also thank you that what we read in the Bible is not just a collection of stories that have been thrown together in some random pattern, but we read about a purpose and a plan. And it's a big purpose and it's a big plan. And Lord, we see in that phrase that you use in the Old Testament in Genesis and repeated in a different way in the New Testament, and Joseph says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Father, I pray, would you impress that upon our hearts? In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're just going to sing um, the, the song that we sang actually just before we uh, finished up. And um, it's interesting, I was with uh, Owen and Pauline on Friday, I was telling them a little bit about what's been going on with me. And some of you, well, probably most of you know, I've been on a bit of a journey myself. And uh, the last three months, four months, have probably been some of the toughest of my life. Um, and a lot around some of the things that Owen's been talking about. Um, I felt very, very intense attack by other people, very personal. I think it's been very spiritual as well. But in all of it, I'm completely out of control. And that's a really scary thing. And the reason I'm out of control is because God put me there. So unless he, he takes me out, I have to stay there. Um, and it's, when I say it's tough, it's affected my health. It's made, it's been a really tough uh, time. And every day I'm praying and having to just ask God to, to take me through the next day. 
day by day. And you know, that's true for so many of us, actually, in our situations and circumstances. And, that, you know, the thing he just said that, Min said that really hit me was he finds his destiny with no control. How many of us take control of our lives and miss our destiny? You know, I don't want to miss my destiny. I don't know about you. I don't. It would be such a shame because we took control. And the reason we take control is because of stuff, because of people, things that have happened and hurt, pain. And as we sing, I just believe this morning it's an opportunity for us to just once again just say, God, I lose control this morning. I give you control. Take me into the fullness of my destiny. Okay, so let's just sing this now and then we'll pray and finish. Let's stand together. Show me how to love like you have loved.
want to be selfless in our faith. Bring everything to you. You would break our hearts for the things that are in your heart. And Lord, whilst we're holding on to things and doing our own thing, you can't do that, Lord. So this morning, fresh we ask that you would take control. us to fulfill the destiny, the very purpose for which we were born. Lord, as a church, we release full control to you, that you would take us as a church into the fullness of your destiny and purpose in this place. Lord, we break every chain that would hold us to the past this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, whether that's personal or whether that's corporate. And we ask you, God, release us into the fullness of that destiny and purpose today. Thank you that you are God. You are our Father. You are our Savior. Jesus' name.